So if you grab your Bibles, turn to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth 1, I think that's page 240 of your pew Bibles. And we're looking at the highlights of Bethlehem in the Bible. And we started with the first one last week um, in Genesis, the story of Rachel's death, actually, and that Bethlehem is associated with sorrow. And the good news is that Christ enters into our Bethlehem. He enters into our sorrow, and we see something uh, going on similar to that here this morning. Um, so we want to look at the entire book, um, and now we're not going to look at it in all great detail, do a lot of skipping, but the story of Ruth in general, uh, I, I, I just love. So if you will stand with me out of reverence for God's Word, we'll read the first few verses, but we're really looking at the whole book. The writer of first, or writer of Ruth, rather, writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, starting in chapter one, verse one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. The names of his two sons was Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years. Both Malin and Kilian died, so the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. See how similar this is to the story of Rachel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we ask, as always, you open our eyes and our, and our ears and our hearts and our minds and our mouth and our hands and our feet, that you would take your word, transform our entire being, that we would become more like Jesus. May we see Bethlehem not just the city of sorrow, but the city of redemption. Um, and may you do that for us now. May I decrease so you can increase. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Seated. Have you, have you ever looked back on your life and you thought, where are really the chances that these things happened? Um, for, for example, uh, when the way I met my wife was, was really, it, it was... Um, Really by divine appointment, I think. It was, um, it just so happened, we could say, that uh, she was at band camp and I was at the first week of soccer, which is usually, you know, you can call it soccer camp, you can, um, but there's a lot of running and sweating uh, in the summer sun. And it just so happened to be vacation Bible school week at our church. And it just so happened that my uh, wife's two best friends, some of y'all have met one of them for birthday parties and whatnot. Um, were, went to our church. We were in our youth group, and VBS was a big outreach for our youth group uh, back when I was a student. And, and so they, they, they invited my, my wife to, to come and uh, visit us at, at church, and they'd spend the night, do all that sort of stuff. And, and that's how I met my wife. It just so happened, her best friends. I thought I knew everybody in my school. There were about four to 500 students between freshmen and senior, and, and I thought I knew everybody. And except apparently there was one person from Carroll County, of all people, no, no wonder I didn't know who she was, um, uh, that I hadn't met. And it just so happened that we met there in the July of, of 2000. And it just so happened that uh, whenever I first met my father-in-law, bless his heart, um, he kind of already knew something about me. Because it just so happened in the uh, two years prior when uh, my outlaws moved from Carroll County, uh, the the River Ratville of, of America, moved into the Promised Land, from Egypt into the Promised Land, uh, my father-in-law had to buy a tractor. And he went to a uh, tractor place called McDonald Farm Equipments. And he met my grandfather. 
my wife knew nothing of me, knew nothing about anything. Uh, but when she introduced me to her father, he, he immediately recognized my last name because of my grandfather. In fact, we have at our house a check from my father-in-law that he wrote to my grandfather for, to purchase that tractor. It just so happened, right? It just so happened that when I left high school, uh, and I started uh, over at seminary, if you will, the undergrad, that, that uh, I want to be a youth pastor. I want to get my feet wet in ministry. And it just so happened that my parents went out to eat. And it just so happened that uh, there was a couple there they hadn't, they hadn't seen in years. That it just so happened to be that my mother and, and this husband, they, they were colleagues for many years. And that he was a pastor at a local church in Oynton. And it just so happens they had just talked the previous Sunday about their need of a youth pastor. Never had one in their history as a church. And that's how I became youth pastor at Green and Fork Baptist Church. Got a hold of him, got, got the pastor's number, sent in my, my resume, which was very brief at the time. It basically said, I graduated high school at the end, right? That was about it. Um, uh, but you, you ever do that? Look back in your life and, and think, man, if, if these things didn't, didn't work out the way that they didn't, none of these things could have happened. How blessed I am that God orchestrated these things. And then your options are pretty limited in understanding how these things take place. Either you can buy into happenstance or, or circumstance or coincidence, or you can buy into the worldview of Scripture and believe in providence. And what you have here in the story of Ruth, it is a story of providence. But more than that, it's a story of redemption. When I was a little kid doing Christmas plays at church. And, and uh, every year, I got to go spend the week just me and my other grandfather, uh, my, my mother's father. And I loved this week. And, and it was just, just me and him. The only time of the year was just me and him. And he was very generous to me. He was never generous from what my, my mother tells me to her her brother. But to, to the grandkids, he was very generous. And, and, and I had this habit when I went to Warsaw. I thought people around Warsaw, Kentucky, they just leave money hanging around for some reason. They must be rich up there. It's probably the river, right? And, and so I would, I would grab like a Ziploc bag. And I would find a quarter, and I'd put that quarter in the bag, and, and then, you know, up the road a little bit, I, I'd find a dime or a nickel or a penny, whatever, and just, just find money by the end of the week. I'd have like two, three dollars. I mean, that was pretty good, you know, before, for, you know, 30 years of inflation, right? It was awesome to have. But then as I started getting older, I thought, it's just so odd that Warsawans just leave money everywhere. And then I looked up, and I saw my grandfather doing this. Taking a few more steps, doing this. A few more steps, dropping another. You see, what I thought was an accident, come to find out it was the grace of a loving grandfather. Ruth is a story that, that you have to read it as a whole to really see the big picture of God's providential Grace. The story begins with a story of sorrow, and this is where it's just like the story of Rachel, right? Now, in order to appreciate, particularly the eight verses we read, is you need to appreciate irony. For example, it starts out where we're introduced to the husband of Naomi. His name is Elimelech. Elimelech means my God, Eli, like Elijah and Elisha and Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani, right? Eli means my God, and Melech means king. Like tonight, we'll talk about Melchizedek. It just means king, right? Melchizedek's king of righteousness. Righteousness. So, so his name is my God is king. What does Elimelech do? 
He leaves the land where my God is king for a Gentile land where God is not king. You see the irony? His, his wife's name is Princess. Now think about it. you got a guy who has king in his name and his wife is named Princess. But the king and the princess of Bethlehem leave their kingdom, if you will, for a foreign land. Speaking of Bethlehem, Bethlehem means house. That's Beth, like Bethel means house of God. House of bread. And, and what's wrong with the house of bread when we open up the pages of Ruth? There's no bread. It's a famine in the land. So they have to leave the house of bread in search of bread. They have two sons, right? Naomi and Elimelech. What's their name? This would be great names for your gerbil. Malin and Killian. Their names essentially mean sick and dying. Can you guess what happens to sick and dying? Spoiler alert, right? They get sick and they die. Apparently none of that was a hint. <laughs> you know, uh, when, when you know, they fill out the uh, birth certificate. We'll name this one sick and we'll name this one dying, right? You know. Okay, all right. You, know, you be you, I guess. So, of course, they, they leave the house of bread. They go to the land of the Moabites. And, and uh, uh, Malin and Kilian, they, they find them some Moabite girls to marry. And everyone seems to be happy, right? And what happens is Elimelech dies. So now Naomi is a widow. And 10 years later, her sons die. Now, remember in this society, there's no security. There, there's, there's no life insurance. There's none of that. And so a woman's dependency upon a man was, was great in a patriarchal society. So when her husband died, she would depend on her sons to take care of her. When our sons have died, and this is going to leave a lot of very limited options for Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. And this is what they talk about. Naomi, again, we're just skipping. Naomi looks at, at her daughters-in-law and says, look, you have options that I don't. And you have options that you're young enough. You have no children. You can go and you can remarry. And, and I want to encourage you to do precisely that. I, on the other hand, I, I need to go back. In fact, she says that if I were to remarry, you're not going to wait around for, for me to have sons and they grow up and then you marry my, 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 my new son. You're not, you're not going to be able to do that. So you guys stay in Moab. You, you find you some Moabite men, you marry them, and find your happily ever after. I, on the other hand, I've got to go back and see if, if, if I can just make something work. She knew she was choosing a destitution, poverty, perhaps homelessness. There are not a lot of options she had. Orpah, her daughter-in-law, says, that's a good plan. I think it's best for me if I stay in Moab. Now, let me just pause here. There's nothing wrong with that choice, right? She, she, she sees the circumstances and, say, and says, this is what's best for me. She's not sinning in doing that. Not a terrible daughter-in-law. Ruth, on the other hand, um, may be related to my in-laws. Very, very stubborn. Just very, very stubborn, right? And this, this is where we, we, we get the uh, uh, famous passage there, I believe is in uh, verse 16. Uh, chapter 1, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Now, that is the last thing you want to hear from an in-law. Am I right? <laughs> Am I right? You know? Um, no, no, but you see the generosity here of Ruth? She says, she says, I realize that when we go to Bethlehem, we're choosing destitution, homelessness, and hopelessness. 
But I choose that because your God is, is my God. My God, that's, that's Eli, right? You see the irony? You see the irony? So they, they go back to uh, Bethlehem. And immediately, uh, the women of Bethlehem haven't seen Naomi in at least 10 years. They, they notice something's different about Naomi. One, where's her cargo? Right? There's, there's, there's no husband. There's no sons. There's no grandchildren. Just, just a stranger. They also notice that she's aged. Because Naomi changes her name from princess to bitterness. And her bitterness is draining her. In fact, notice the language there. Uh, Verse 20, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. That means bitterness. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. You see the bitterness? It's right there. It's right there. Look, God has taken from me what is mine. I'm entitled. By the way, this is the way far too many of us mourn. This is the way far too many of us experience grief and sorrow. We choose to become our bitterness rather than to be free from it. By the way, notice she says there, I came back home empty. Read the next verse, verse 22. Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, was with her. Don't don't overlook that. It's more than just a narrative note. Naomi says, I am alone. I left full. I came back empty-handed. And there, getting the stuff out of the taxi cab's trunk is a daughter-in-law who is chosen to be with Ruth rather than another husband at home. She's chosen to be a foreigner. She's chosen poverty. She's chosen a lot of things for the sake of Naomi, who has chosen bitterness. Ruth chooses Naomi. Ruth chooses bitterness. And not only that, notice there, she returned from the country of Moab, and they came to the house of bread at the beginning of barley season. You see where this is going? You see, it just so happened that of all the, the women that her sons could have married, one was named Ruth, who was very stubborn, from Carroll County, no doubt. And of all the times that they arrive in Bethlehem was the time when there's going to be bread. So you go from an empty house of bread to what's soon going to be a full house of bread. So we start with sorrow in the story of Ruth. It quickly turns to love. We really could say it's a story of hope, but love sells better than hope these days. So it's a love story, right? Now, the story begins here in chapter 2. Chapter 2 and 3 is the main love part of the story where... uh, where because they are widows and they don't have a son or a grandson or husband or anything like that, they are really are left destitute. But there is a welfare program in ancient Israel during the time of the judges. And that is that when farmers go out to harvest, they leave behind some of the crops so that the poor can then come and collect some of that for themselves. It allows generosity and charity on the part of the farmers and allows a welfare system that that demands some sort of, of work, right? So if you don't own a farm, you, don't, you, can't, you can't work somewhere else, this is a, a, a real viable option that will at least feed your family. So Naomi stays home, or I should say Mara, bitter, stays home. But Ruth gets up early. She goes into the fields, right? And it just so happened she chose a field 
of a guy who is rich. I got all you ladies' attention now. This is a Hallmark Lifetime story about to happen. No doubt. When the rich guy gets out of his Mercedes, I think it was a 1972 Chevy Nova, red with black racing stripes right down it, right? Uh, zero to 60, as fast as you want to go, right? He gets out of that, that nice thing, and, and he is rich, he owns it, and he is six foot two, six foot three, not too tall, not too tall ladies, right, right? Uh, but he's strong enough, you know, well, you know, an easy 225 pounds, 3% body fat, right? That's, that's so he can't brag. He, he is well-educated. He is wealthy. He comes from a long line of, of wealth and, 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 and uh, godly people. He has bright blue eyes, ladies. I mean bright blue eyes. I mean, you can see him from a mile away, right? And once Ruth saw him, it started to snow. Right during the Middle Eastern country. It's amazing how this happens, right? The snow is falling. It's incredible. It's just amazing. The music is building up. It's, it's after. And of course, he gets out of the car right as the sun is starting to rise. The waves are crashing into the desert. It is just everything you would ever want, okay? Well, Boaz gets out. He is single, he is wealthy, and it just so happens he fits to be a kinsman redeemer. And it just so happens that Boaz notices Ruth. And by the way, can I just add a little footnote here, particularly for you ladies? Now, if you're Ruth, you're in a Middle Eastern sun, no snow. That was a joke for those of y'all who don't laugh. And, and uh, sort of like, oh, I'm going to look up Google and see what the weather's really like this time of year. Right? No, don't, don't, that was a joke. It's, it's okay. It's okay. Um, but, but he, uh, um, uh, I forgot where I was going now. Uh, but think about it. It is, it is harvest season. It is hot. She is working. He notices she is beautiful. Now, ladies... If you were Ruth, and if Boaz came up to you and said, hi, how are you? Oh, this old thing, right? You would do, do, do something like that, right? It's amazing, isn't it, that, that he sees that she is beauty. No amount of sweat, no amount of sun, no amount of heat was ever going to take that away from her. Like, You've got to find you a man like that, right? Again, I told you that when my wife and I met, uh, we, we both smelled, right? I mean, we did. We, we, we were sweating. She was in band camp. I was in soccer camp. We were not looking our best. But I, but I didn't see any of that. What I saw was really just the most gorgeous woman I'd ever seen in, in, in my life. I mean, there's, there's her and there's Britney Spears and Mandy Moore. I mean, that's the order. I mean, that is saying something when you're above pre-shaving your head and, and attacking people in the umbrella of Britney Spears. I mean, that is, that is good. But... Um, but, but nevertheless, he, he notices her, and, and of course, Ruth goes home, and she says, hey, Naomi, I met a guy, right? And they start talking, and they're talking, and they're talking, and talking, and the short end of the story, I don't want to spend forever on this, is they get engaged. They get engaged, because it isn't just that she saw a guy that she could fall in love with, but that he is a kinsman redeemer. And that's where chapter 4 goes. Chapter 4 is all about redemption. We go from sorrow to hope to redemption. It's a story of, of redemption. And so the chapter concludes, or the book concludes, with the climatic event of Ruth and Boaz getting married. So you'll notice there in chapter 4, verse 11, 
Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily of Ephrathah, that's Bethlehem, and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore the Judah, because the offspring of the Lord will give you by this young woman. You see the biblical connection, the literary hyperlink, back to the story of Rachel. It's a very different story, isn't it? Read the story of Rachel, and it's a story that begins with love that ends in tragedy. Read the story of Ruth, and it's a story that begins in tragedy and ends in love. And what they have together is the city of Bethlehem. Now, I said that, that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer, and that term is important. In the, in the ancient Near Eastern world, redemption was primarily a... A, uh, a, a, a financial term, if I can use that term. Uh, it would usually be used in two contexts. One, in the redemption of slaves. To redeem a slave is to buy a slave for the purpose of setting them free. History is full of examples of doing precisely that. And, and so uh, there are slaves in ancient Near Eastern culture uh, that their redeemer would do that. The other option was if a person is in debt, the kinsman redeemer uh, who, who, who has some a relation to those in need of redemption, hence the kinsman part, they have some right, legal right to the property. Um, they then purchase the land and then give it back to keep it in the family line. That's what Boaz does here. Elimelech is gone. Mala and Kilian is gone. Who owns the land now? Well, that goes to the next kinsman redeemer. And we actually meet the first kinsman redeemer. doesn't want to have anything to do with Ruth. doesn't want to have anything to do with Naomi or the land. So he gives it over to Boaz. And what Boaz does by marrying Ruth and being married into uh, the family line of Elimelech now, he now redeems Naomi and Ruth from all of their debts, all their poverty. And they go from being dirt poor destitute to being rich and to being wealthy and to be Free, they are redeemed because of the grace of Boaz. Now, notice here in verses 13 to 15 that everything that happened in chapter 1 is reversed. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception. She bore a son. The woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age, and your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Go back to the chapter one, right? I'm all alone. My quiver is no longer full. God has abandoned me. Get to the end of the story. You're like, she was worth seven sons to you. This day exists because her God is your God. Because she left everything for you. And by God's grace, providential grace, who you are. It's interesting, isn't it, that the story zero in, zeroes in on Naomi, the grandmother, holding the child, not Ruth, the mother, holding the child. And there's several reasons for that. One of them is just literary. We, 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 see, we see the story come, come full circle. So we see marriage and death at the widowhood, widowhood, redemption after poverty, love after immigration, children after barrenness. So we go back to chapter 1 where amid her pain, Mara's self-absorption blinded her. Ruth was far greater than all the sons she could have ever had. But, but she couldn't see it. And that is where Ruth and Boaz, of course, kiss. And the camera zooms all the way around them. The entire time they're eclipsing the sun, of course. 
This time the sun is, is, is uh, uh, it's descending, right? Instead of rising, it's going to fall, you know, because they meet the sun's rising and they kiss at the end. The sun has to fall. I don't know why they do that in Hallmark movies. The snow is falling again. The waves are crashing. The music is building, all that sort of stuff, right? And we assume that they're going to live very happily ever after. But the story doesn't end there. It has a terrible ending. Right, just a terrible ending. What you want, it's like reading Tolkien, right? You're like, okay, the story's over with. Put a period and publish it, right? Don't, don't add this other paragraph. But there is another paragraph here. It starts in verse 16. It's, it's an appendix. Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. It's been born to Ruth, right? But in the story, it's Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. You see where this is going? You see that this story of Ruth isn't about Ruth. It's not about Naomi. It's not about Boaz. It's not about any of them. It's about a man named David. Can I prove it to you? Keep reading. Now, these are the generations of Perez. You came to church near Christmas not wanting to read a genealogy. <laughs> you, you about to be disappointed. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. That name, spell it right, will be on your quiz. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Solomon. Solomon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, Jesse followed David. Isn't that a terrible end to a good story? I mean, be honest. I mean, next time you watch Lifetime, after lunch today, no doubt. And you just wanna, you want to find some Christmas love story, you know, whatever. You don't want no genealogy after the end. You don't care who the great-great-grandchild of Obed is. You don't. Unless, of course, you understand what redemption is. You see, the readers of this at this time have David as king. And they're starting to see that, yes, yes, Israel had a time of disobedience. They had a time of rebellion. And a time has been really rough for Israel. And we, we don't deserve much. But look at God's grace. In the middle of sinfulness, amid sorrow, God's been gracious to his people. It may not look like it right here and right now. In chapter 1 of Ruth, it doesn't look like it. It seems like God is far away and he is distant. We get to the end of the story, we start to see God's providential grace. And it's bigger than Ruth. It's bigger than Naomi or Boaz. It's bigger than Obed. But the ending draws us to see that the story is bigger than these. It, in fact, we should keep looking forward. We, on the other end of the story of David, we, we read of David. We don't stop at David, do we? After all, we, we, we finished our, our study of David for the year. We'll, we'll finish it, Lord willing, next year uh, with him in very serious, heinous sin. And what happens after the Bathsheba and Uriah event is his life begins to, to uncrumble and, 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 and he just, just, just falls apart. See, he's not the Redeemer. And people put a lot of hope in him as a Redeemer, but he's not, he's not the Redeemer. Now, what we need to do is what Matthew does. He, he gives the same genealogy. O, uh, Perez and Obed and Aminadab and Nashon and Salmon and, and, and Jesse and David. But Matthew keeps going to Solomon and Rehoboam and Hezekiah and so many others until we come to a man by the name of Joseph who by adoption gives birth to a son named Jesus. And where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. Amid great sorrow, like in the times of Rachel, in order to bring redemption 
like in the days of Ruth. That is why when Mary is minding her own business, she's engaged to be married and is preparing for her wedding day. An angel shows up. And she says, don't be afraid. You're pregnant. And you're going to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. In other words, they will be slaves indeed of liberty. They will be in debt to sin in need of redemption. And it will begin in Bethlehem. I think every time we talk about Ruth, I read this poem. It's a bit lengthy, but I absolutely love this poem. Uh, And I think it summarizes the story well. I stole it from Alistair Begg. It can't be true. I can't go on. Or everything we had is gone. Naomi wept. Poor Ruthie cried. Naomi's precious son had died. And oh, one precious, priceless son. Naomi's son, that very one, was Ruthie's husband. Lord above our one and only one true love. Now sometimes when it rains, it pours. And this time it would pour for sure. For evil people rule the land as evil people sometimes can. And sometimes will and sometimes do when you and I allow them to. Here to there and there to here the food began to disappear. It filled the people full of fear. Yes, full of fear from ear to ear. Orpah, Ruth, Naomi cried. The time has come. We must decide. We have to leave. We cannot stay. We cannot stay. Not now. No way. From north to south and west to east, the men are gone. Extinct. Deceased. Without a man, Naomi said, we're all as good as dead. Just look at me. I'm old and wrinkled, sagged and bagged, crooked and crinkled, crumpled, puckered, nooked and crannied, ripped and winkled, grayed and grannied. Oh, there is just no hope in sight to find another Mr. Right or even just a Daffy Duck and Elmer Fudd or Mr. Yuck. The time has come. The time is now. The time is come right now. And how? You must return, you must, I say, return back home right now today. Naomi prayed that they would bite, and hoping you that she was right, she packed her bags without a fight and left for home that very night. But oh, not Ruth, not her, no way. She had a thing or two to say. I can't return, I want to stay. I will not go right now today, for where you are is where I'll be, and when you stay, you'll stay with me, and when you die, I'll die with you, and that is what I'm going to do. Your God will be my God, and he will surely care for you and me. Oh, what a thing for Ruthie to say. That kind of thing can make your day, and make you shout hip hip hooray. They hugged and kissed and packed up tight and left for Bethlehem that night. Naomi, is it really true? What happened, girl? Just look at you. Your hair, your clothes, your shoes, your toes, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your nose. You're looking pale. You're looking thin. In fact, if we may say again, you're really looking more akin to something that the cat dragged in. Well, things look bad the way things can, but listen now. God has a plan. Oh, Naomi, please don't cry. Oh, please don't cry. I'll tell you why. I'll find a farm. I'll be real nice. I'll ask them once or maybe twice to take our jugs and jars and sacks and fill them full of treats and snacks. 
Yes, crumbs and morsels, flakes and flecks, leftover kernels, crumbs and specks. A black banana, bagels and locks, some cheese stuck to a pizza box. I'll beg and plead, I'll sob and bleed, I'll ask them for a tasty treat. And it's itsy bitsy teeny weeny tiny scrap for us to eat. So off she went. She did her thing. She did it never noticing that someone had been fastening his bulging eyes on everything. Who is that girl out in the field? And what's she doing, Boaz squealed? Look at that hair. Look at those eyes. Excuse me just one minute, guys. I'd rather go and socialize. He shaved his toes. I'm sorry, I got to stop there. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know if I love my wife that much. But nevertheless, he, he shaved his toes. He licked his lips. He checked his teeth for cracks and chips. He combed the bugs out of his hair. Yes, Don Juan, double debonair. We save your fair extraordinaire. Now don't be too quick to judge, amen? Don't think what you're thinking then, for Boaz was a gentleman. Please stay with us. Take what you need. Take what you need and more indeed. He loaded up all Rusi sacks and jugs and jars with treats and snacks. Yes, it was true love at first sight, a double thumping heart delight. She headed home, oh, what she found, her world was turning upside down. She ran the whole way back to town, about ten feet above the ground. I'm telling you, tonight's the night, Naomi Grant, and if I'm right, there's only one thing left to do to get that man to say I do. So they did, oh, did they do. They fluffed and puffed, they crimped, they curled, they powdered, sweet, perfumed, and pearled. They thanked the Lord, they sang His praise. They marveled at His wondrous ways, and off she went into the night to have and hold her Mr. Right. Her Mr. Shining Armor Knight, her straight from heaven sent delight. Now, as I'm sure that you suppose, Boaz said, Ruth, when, yes, when Ruth proposed. Yes, Ruth proposed. That's what I said. Just look it up. Go right ahead. They tied the knot and lived to be quite happily ever afterly. And soon God blessed them with a son, a precious little baby one. But wait, the story's far from done because their son, he's the one. Who had a son who had a kid known as King David. Yes, he did. And David was the great, 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 great times three times one plus eight. Great granddad of a man whose wife you've probably heard of all your life. A man whose son, to be precise, was Jesus. No. Yes. Jesus Christ. Just take a second. Think it through. What will God will go and do? For God is love. And love is kind. The kindness that you will ever find. The kindness that you will ever see. That is something else. Don't you agree? You see, it just so happened, we might think, that a virgin would give birth to a son in Bethlehem. But that's not a happenstance. That's providence. And just as God was working through a, a, a Moabite woman named Ruth, looking forward to David. He was looking forward to Jesus, looking forward to you and I, that we would gather to worship his holy name, our King, our Redeemer. Let's pray. Our Father, I ask that you would be so kind.